accessing library computer data. Out there, there are no saints. Just people. Hey everybody, welcome back to the podcast. We're up to episode 13 of season 1 of Deep Space 9. It's called Battle Lines. This one was written by Richard Danis and Evan Carlos Summers. The story goes to Hillary Bader, directed by Paul Lynch. It aired back on April 25th, 1993. In this episode, a runabout carrying Kaiopaka crashes on a planet of eternal war, where it is impossible for the combatants to die. We're joined yet again by Modi. Modi, how are you doing? I am excellent. Thanks for having me back. I know that you uh, you tweeted about this episode because you said that sometimes it's nice when you're uh, watching a Star Trek episode and a guest actor comes on that you know and you'll... <laughs> oh, a great guest actor, yeah. <laughs> We're going to get into this. We'll probably um, start the discussion with something about this after... Uh, after we come back, I'm going to play an audio clip, and then me and Modi are going to come back, and we're going to break down the 13th episode of Season 1 of Deep Space Nine. It's called Battle Lines. The leaders of our planet were unable to mediate a peace. Finally, they sent us all here and told us that we would serve as an example for the rest of civilization. How did your fight begin? Some say it was water, some say it was land. It's not really very relevant now. And what do you hope to gain by continuing? Vengeance. All of us have seen our family suffer incredibly at the hands of the Knoll. The Knoll can say the very same thing. And probably do. If you must fight your war, the least you can do is learn to fight it more effectively. Major, this is not our... What do you mean? There were no guards at the entrance when we arrived. You have no system to alert your forces of an attack. Your people are obviously unprepared for fighting close quartered. That's enough, Major. We're trapped on this moon with only his forces between us and damnation. We have to defend ourselves to stay alive. Now, when the Knoll attack again, we I have to I said that's enough! We have to be ready! This is not your war, Kira. Hmm. We used to defend ourselves better, Major. Safety perimeters counterattacks, preemptive strikes. And then we realized that it was all pointless. When you cease to fear death, the rules of war change. So I was watching this one and I was thinking it reminds me strongly of the vengeance factor from TNG. Do you remember that episode? It's the one where... Uh, they meet like the biker gang on that planet who has the the woman who can touch people and kill them. Uh, she's like a super weapon, and then Riker kills her at the very end. <laughs> he falls in love and then kills. Boy, her. I don't remember that one at all. Actually, it's it's a really terrible <laughs> Sounds episode. Like a good one. Yeah, it's it's really really <laughs> awful. Uh, but the guys here kind of remind me of that. And w- to me, what the big difference here is that we have uh, Jonathan Banks as a guest yeah. role playing the leader of. One of the groups, uh, because I don't care about their names. I don't think it's particularly important, but there's two groups. He's the leader it's of like one the of them. Ennis and the Nala Ennis. I remember they're, that one. They're very, briefly here. Yeah, they're very close to each other. And um, what a difference the episode makes. Like, it, it, it's almost like war in baseball, like wins above replacement. Like, if you if you plugged in, like, an average level actor into this role, I think the episode would be a million times worse, right? Like, yeah. Jonathan Banks' war is, is, like, 15 or something at this point because he yeah. he really, he 
He does a good job of being effectively a badass and also delivering the cliche Star Trek lines in kind of an original oh, way. But, but, yeah, but totally like you buy it i put away my notes at one point just so i could watch the episode and stop stop focusing on taking notes as soon as he showed up basically yeah <laughs> my last note is holy shit jonathan banks and i stopped <laughs> writing notes after that <laughs> yeah he's he's very very good and we can compare it to like vortex which is the episode prior to this like that guy the con man actor was like a replacement level actor right there's like nothing yeah special about him and it drags right. down that he episode he got he got the spot but yeah and then Banks comes into this one, and he's just—he's really, really excellent. And did you notice it? Did you recognize him immediately? Did it take a little bit of time? I was like, "Wait a second. I recognized the voice, and then I recognized the nose, and I was like, "Oh my god, yeah." <laughs> he's like, "Let me die in peace." Um, oh man. So, the way I wanted to break into this episode is that, um. We've complained in the podcast uh, going into this one, uh, we've had 12 episodes or whatever before this, where we were kind of wondering why the Deep Space Nine season one is off to such a rough start that it is. And a lot of it is the sort of weak plotting. Um, I think the gen- in general, the show is produced better than TNG was at its first season. But in a weird way, the Deep Space Nine stories are more boring and feel detached, where TNG was almost the opposite, where the production was really horrendous, but the the stories themselves were actually kind of cool ideas in the first season of TNG. They were just terrible episodes. So it's kind of a reverse thing here, where the production of Deep Space Nine is better than TNG, but the stories are a little bit boring. And we were complaining that the the series doesn't seem to want to use the setup that came in Emissary, where you're on this space station and the Gamma Quadrant, there's a wormhole, and Bajor has just gotten out of this occupation. To me, what's special about Battle Lines is that it's the first season and the first ep- uh, the first episode in the first season to sort of take the concept of the show and run with it in a way that they mm-hmm. haven't done before. Would you agree with that, or do you, would you add anything to that? No, I I would agree completely. I think I think it really uses the whole wormhole setup nicely, and it it brings in new complications and new uh, things that couldn't exist before, and it takes it in new directions that that can be done now with with this, um, you know, being on the other side of the the looking glass kind of thing. Um, it's it's it definitely it definitely uses it well in this one, and I think that the. You know, it also brings in the Bajorans in a way that we haven't seen since. And I think that, it, you know, we bring back Kai Opaka, who I'm pretty sure we've only seen in the pilot so far. I don't think we've I'm, seen I her. I wrote that down. I've, I don't remember her other than the, um, the Emissary. I don't remember her behind that. So. Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't think she comes. Um, I don't think she's in any episode before then. I don't think she's in anything after that, after this one. So she's barely a recurring character, I guess. <laughs> she meets the bare yeah. minimum of being recurring. Um but they do a good job of fleshing out the Bajoran religion stuff, which I don't want to talk about right now. Let's let's kind of go into the sort of plot uh, mechanics of it, and then we'll break down the individual aspects. Sure. This is a a very good idea for a Star Trek episode. <laughs> would you mm-hmm. Would you agree with that? Or would... I think this is a very good Star Trek episode. Yes, it's a very good idea for Star Trek episode. Yes. Yeah, I, I think that the the idea of people who are basically destined to fight um endlessly it's almost like a greek god story in a lot of ways like you you're just destined to fight in battle and die over and over and you never get any kind of peace out of it and it it works so 
poetically because it, it, it's it's it is that. I mean, it, it it you can see right from the start that if they just stop fighting, they would no longer have any problem on this planet. Right. Like yeah. their their fighting is the only thing that's causing them grief, and it 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 just works out. So I mean, the only way that a sci fi thing can in that it it they, they you know human nature they just can't they have to have their vengeance even right. you know whatever alien species that they actually are but they're human enough and the the, the thing about like you know the, i think the script does a really good job of um explaining their backstory like they they, they can't remember why they're even fighting in the first place yeah. anymore like it's been going on for so long that they've forgotten there was they uh the lead, i can't do you remember what the character of the leader's name is like the actual character uh, I cannot God. remember. So we'll it's like Shell something, another Shell or something like yeah, that. Yeah, Shell or something like that. We'll call him Jonathan Shell-El, Banks. Yeah, something like that. Jonathan yeah. Banks' character has a lot of good um, lines about it. Like it, when you can't die, war takes on a whole new meaning and things like that. Uh-huh. Like which is really sort of interesting quotes and stuff like that. And I think that the, I think that just the the central concept is really strong here. It's a very Star Trekky. Um, thing and I think that the the episode is a lot of good in service of that story. Um, you know, they, they're not the alien races themselves don't really matter. There's a reason I don't remember the character's name or the names of the different groups yeah. that are on it because it doesn't really matter. The only not thing that matters is that yeah, that they need to fight and everything like that. Um, yeah. So you, I've been talking for a while. How about you? Give me your sort of general rundown of this one. Uh, so. Yeah, like I said, the the it, it's 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 a good sci-fi thing in that it, it it explores a human characteristic and explodes it into a, a different type of theater, and that's what good sci-fi does. And I mean, that's 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 what it's all about. I mean, it's taking it's taking an aspect we can't really easily talk about, and then puts it in a different context that you can talk about it in. So you can see all these things that you can't like put your finger on exactly, but you know exactly what they mean when you see these two warring factions that can't remember where they're fighting and they're just fighting because of the previous fight, basically. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. To the point where they won't even let each other leave because it would be, they, they, they would, they, they wouldn't get their vengeance then. So they have to let them make the person stay, even though they could just, you know, let one faction leave the planet and they'd be done. And yes, but it comes yeah. down to Jonathan Banks still wanting to use the use the uh, the power as a weapon to kill them off finally. Yes, it's, I, uh, I liked it, I like that, <laughs> that I like that ending. I think that the to me the episode is um it, it the episode has to be you know the forty two minutes or whatever the hell these episodes are and around like minute thirty two the metaphor kind of wears off on me yeah. a little bit like i start to wonder like well jesus why, why don't they just stop fighting like why do they keep fighting like this so right you you kind of have to go into it with the understanding that it's a metaphor it's not really an episode that's supposed to be taken literally you know what i mean and it, it's that's that's apparent even from the ending where nothing changes for the people on the planet they, they keep staying their own ways um so yeah that's not they're not they're just there to represent they're the allegory of it they're they're not there to to actually have any closure right they're there to show us something about our own nature basically yeah and i I think they do a good misdirect because i actually going into the ending i thought that the jonathan banks character potentially could have a change of heart about it and i'm I'm glad they went with the way that they went here um it's definitely the most downer of an ending out of all the episodes i think that we've seen so far maybe except for 
And now even Captain Pursuit, the guy gets away. Yeah, like they're hunting him, but he's he's running free and stuff. This is definitely the probably the downer ending, I think, especially since they they leave Kai Opaka there as well. <laughs> yeah, she's gonna be stuck there, but she's gonna be the force for peace among them. That might be the difference, kind of right. thing. I feel yes. like so there is a little bit of hope with her staying there, and and maybe that's why she decided that's why she was brought there in the first place. I guess. Yeah, do you, um, do, you, do you think that do you, what like if you had to break it into like a percentage, what percentage do you do think the situation is hopeful and what's not hopeful at the very end of it? Well, it's it's not. It's a it's like you said, it's a downer ending. But I do think that there is a little bit of hope, at least some. Maybe, so she she has a, a little bit that she can. She's she can't die. I mean, she's just right. gonna be, <laughs> and she's not gonna join a side. You know that much. They can't kill her. They can't get rid of her ever. All she's gonna do is keep suing for peace, and and be just. A land of the slaughter constantly basically probably until they get sick of her being around yeah you still can't get rid of her i don't ever anticipate her picking a side in the battle so she's just going to be forever i mean that's the thing on a long enough timeline she will convince them she'll she'll her peace will win out it on a long enough timeline i feel like so there is some hope there it's interesting you you brought up um choosing a side uh, originally the script had a uh the, the first draft of the script had cardassians and humans on this planet where it was the same situation, except it was um, humans fighting Cardassians as opposed to two alien species that we don't understand. And they didn't want to do that because they didn't want the show to have to pick a side in that conflict, which makes a lot mm. of sense to me. You, you need sort of a, a thing that you have no insight into and you don't you just know need, the yeah, You just need red versus blue. You don't need right. them to have any other agenda beyond that. Yeah. Yes, exactly. So I, I thought that they did a good job there. And as you say, Kaiopaka is kind of the the thread that goes throughout the whole thing. To me, it's actually I understand her point in the story. I I wonder about the effectiveness of using her. Like I I don't really understand why. As I said, the character is kind of the bare minimum of a recurring character. I don't really understand mm-hmm. why. She was the one, if that makes any sense, like why she came back just for this kind of role. And I don't get a, yeah. I don't get the sense that like, to to me, it feels like if you, if they cut out a couple episodes where we learn that Kaiopaka is feeling like she's almost doubting her faith or something like that. Right. Because she, she comes into this episode almost seeking like she wants to die in the gamma quadrant or something. She's like, oh, take me out there. That yeah, sounds that's basically that's basically the gist of it. We don't really get what she's doing there, but she the gist of it is that she has a prophecy that she's going over here to do something and that's gonna be the end of her life and she's never coming back back from it. Um but she doesn't know what it is. She doesn't mention that at uh, the start, right? She that's no, not No, okay. I don't think so. I, I unless I missed it, but she does not see it's it's all kind of talked about in her dialogue that what what she's experiencing she she's there because of some kind of prophecy right she she that, seems to know that she needs to go to the gamma quadrant basically and she knows seems to know as soon as she goes through it that she's not coming back right yeah okay so yeah yeah I her like the i i totally understand the the necessity of her there and her sort of role i think what she's actually better at here even though she provides a good ending and it's a good ending for a character and it makes sense that like uh, her role in this story of the clans fighting is necessary. But I think that the the thing that's actually more important and it ties into my point before about the, it, this is the first episode to sort of understand the series is that the Kaiopaka reveals something about Kira 
in this episode. And I think it reveals something about the Bajoran uh, religion and the resistance that they put up against the Cardassians. So let me know if you think that this is wrong or if you would challenge anything. The the thing with Kira here that I think they haven't really approached before is that the Bajoran religion seems to be fairly pacifist, right? So mm-hmm. that's why the Cardassians probably took them over very easily. And it also makes it... The interesting turn there for me is that it's kind of heretical for the Bajoran freedom fighters to do what they did. Yeah, I'd buy that. Yeah, so that that, that like that adds a lot of... That's a, that's why Kira, that's why Kira feels. She wants the sad. prophets to forgive her. Yeah, at one point she's in tears because she doesn't think the prophets can forgive her. Um, so I mean that 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 implies that she's been outside the the church basically, right? By, by yeah. being a freedom fighter. Yeah, and I, I think that's a really that's a really good story to take from the setup that they have here because the, the if it's just Kira sort of fighting in a resistance thing that's like a gung ho like yeah we'll get the you know the basically the the figurative nazis out of here and they'll we'll, you know tell them to fuck off making it making the bajoran resistance actually something that was kind of shunned by the religion of the planet at the time is a much more interesting storyline to go with. And yeah, it, it, that definitely it, is. That adds a lot of layers to the character and to the occupation and everything that goes on into the religion itself. Um, so I think that Kaiopaka is good in that kind of a situation. That's her role mostly for this episode. I like episodes like this that you don't... like. There's always a person, even if it's an ensemble cast, there's always a focused character, and you don't necessarily know it right away. This is a Cure episode, though. Yeah. And yeah. even though she's not at all she's got her she's got a few great scenes and a couple big scenes but it's not predominantly like worn out sleeve that's a cure episode but it definitely is about her she has the biggest change throughout everything yeah she's got the arc here and that's i like episodes that are like that it's not it's not really apparent that oh this is gonna be a bashir episode it's gonna be an odo episode i like it that it's it's subtle that it turns out it you, you see her you see her, you know, weeping with with Opaka, and you're like, "Oh, this is a cure episode." Okay, yeah, right, I get yeah. it now. She has the arc here. Okay, how would you? What would you say the difference between this and Vortex would be? Because I consider this to be, I don't consider this to be a great episode. I consider it to be a very solid episode that I think is um, sort of a standout in the first season. If I wanted to go that far, um, I'm interested well, though in yeah. why you think they're different from each other. Well, this first of all has a better more interesting like i guess if you want to call the the warring people the b story of it then that was a much more interesting b story of it than almost the gimmick it's really kind of the gimmick of the episode it's the hook right exactly it's the hook of the episode it's the log line it's the thing that people are it's it's, that people remember the episode for but it's a better setup than the other one um whereas basically Odo gets taken by a con man and, and, and led by the nose out to this random asteroid is the other plot line. Whereas this is much more interesting. It says something. It, 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 I mean, it has something to say about the nature of humans and nature of the world and that kind of thing. Um, and I, I think and I'd it has, argue it has, it has more to say. This episode has more to say than the other one did. I think. Yes, I, I'd agree with that. It has more to say. And it also Odo in vortex. We talked about it. He, he doesn't really have an arc. In that, like it, it, it no, it feels He's like a, a small story. piece, but yeah, he ends up back where he started, basically at yeah. the very end of it, where 
the changes that happen here feel like they actually have ramifications on the character, literally because Kaiopaka is no longer, like the Pope of Bajor is no longer around. It's gone, yeah. And um, Kira's learned something. Uh, Bashir learned that he can't be a little snotty shit to Cisco because he'll get yelled at occasionally, which, <laughs> which is a good scene. Um, what do you think of, you, you? did you say that you thought this was a good Cisco appearance? Um, you might have said that at the start. Um, I don't remember if I did. Okay. It was a weird. It was a weird Cisco appearance because it wasn't. It's not his episode. He's. I didn't don't quite know the. I mean, he's there so they can get where they need to get without like. Having to have someone worry about you know upsetting someone in command, they bring they bring the the highest person on the station there so they can do whatever they want basically of going to investigate this thing right away without getting clearance and stuff like that. They would have to normally would call back to. Deep Space Nine, I'm sure, and fight to let them know where they're going. They're not going to go chase some signal, um, but Cisco being there allows them to do that. So I think for he's more there as a plot uh, element than mm-hmm. rather than a character element. But he's still it's, it's still okay. I mean, he's got he's got a couple of good scenes and a couple of good lines and that kind of thing. He gets um, to uh, he gets in a brutal fight scene. He does like a 360 yeah. spinning <laughs> spinning. Yeah, he's got he gets that going for him too. Yeah, this is actually pretty. Um... A pretty for Star Trek, it was a pretty violent fight scene in a lot yeah. of ways. It was, it was pretty fast paced, too. I don't know if they sped it up. It seems like they probably sped it up a little bit in post, but it it, it definitely felt hard hitting in a way that a lot of Star Trek uh, fighting isn't. A lot of motion. There's a lot going on within the scene. There's there's like three or four people fighting at the same time. You don't usually see that with Star Trek. And the but, um, so what do you what do you think of Cisco at this point? You've had a couple episodes. We're much later now. You started earlier. Has he uh, anything changed boy. for you? I mean, I haven't seen. I've I've really. I mean, I really only have watched. I guess I watched a few episodes in between. Um, I don't know about him yet, to be honest. I. He seems so affable compared to like he like the whole thing with when he's like just beaming when Opaka shows up and he just seems like he'll do anything for her and it just seems like there's a little kid uh trying to <laughs> trying to impress trying to impress the pope basically yeah yeah uh it just seems it just seems so odd that he's he takes the risks and he doesn't really seem like he's got a plan about anything that he's doing um besides just trying to make opaka happy yeah i think that his his reaction to her coming on board is a little bit strange. It's another thing that makes it feel like there should have been a couple episodes in between where they got to know each other in, in a way. Yeah. Like he, he right, seems it's just that one, one episode or two episodes, I guess two parter, but where he's, I mean, I guess he guess he was heavily influenced by her then in those, it was a fairly spiritual thing he went through, I guess, in those episodes, though. So yes, and I mean he um, is the he is the emissary to the prophet. So like yeah. they, they don't really they don't mention that in this episode. I feel like they should. I feel like every time. Kaiopaka or some of the religious Bajorans see him, they should kind of have a reaction to Cisco because mm-hmm. he is kind of a prophet to them. Um, right. So, like, I, I feel that would go a longer way of towards that. But I also don't get the sense that Cisco is hesitant in this role. He seems to let, he, he doesn't have any sort of um, standoffishness about this. And he's he, very optimistic. I was he is thinking, very optimistic in yeah. general. He's very optimistic in this episode for sure. Even to the point where he's telling the folks that he's going to get them off the planet and he can take them with them. And before he even knows that's true or not. Right. Um, he just says, yeah. We're going to take you all with us and get you off of here and you can go your separate ways. Oops, I was uh, wrong. And Bashir's like, nope, you can't. Yeah. So. <laughs> you will die. I, and um, yeah, I, th- I, I like Cisco. I think that the 
the thing I think that you get from Cisco here the most is his sort of his thing about his interaction with Bashir. I was kind of joking about it, where he snaps at Bashir about it. Um, mm-hmm. They're arguing about basically what the prime directive would do. Like what's the regulation for dealing with these people? I like that. He, I like the way he wants one ups him on it too. His, his, I mean, that's the thing I can't, I, mean, I can't begrudge him as not being smart or, or a good, good captain because he does have those things thought through already before somebody even says it thing to him. He, he knows what he wants and he knows how to get it. And he knows how to play within the, his own rules and within the rules of, of the Federation. So I appreciate that he had like the answer ready to go for when Bashir challenged him on it. It's kind of a, I, I, we've said it about multiple characters so far. Like all, a lot of the characters on Deep Space Nine are people who have their own sort of code about how they want life yeah. to go through. And, you know, it stands in direct contrast to the Picard character who is totally about regulation, except for in the obvious circumstances where the regulation is like the immoral thing to do. Um mm-hmm. Cisco is much more Cisco is much more relaxed about it and you, you get the sense that because Deep Space Nine is kind of out on the frontier he can get away with it in a lot of ways like his his actions out there have to be more nuanced because he doesn't have the sort of backup of Starfleet and everything right at his fingertips he's in much more of a precarious situation with stuff and I think the character in general is much more willing to be flexible with outcomes as opposed to going by the book. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, definitely Picard is uh, much, much drier, I would say, as far as the the rules go. Even um, Kirk, I think. Kirk's kind yeah, Kirk of... Yeah, Kirk too. Well, yeah. I mean, he's, he's, he's a little swashbuckly, but still, he's still very much by the book. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. He'll he'll bend the uh, Kirk will use the book to justify his his ass kickings I suppose would be but I I always thought that the the you know the characterization of Kirk as a kind of like rogue captain is not really fitting I feel like Cisco is more rogue than Kirk ever was um, Kirk just had the benefit of sort of being isolated a lot more easily like no one could ever uh, talk to him just because of the you know the timeline of the series and everything like that mm-hmm. um, yeah I I, I enjoyed. Battle lines. I thought that it's a it's a pretty solid uh, episode. You know, the I would consider the B plot to be the O'Brien and Dax thing, and uh, what you yeah really... yeah that's the B or C right, but it's still also very good. I, th- I think they arrive at a it's a lot a of character decently... work. Yeah, it's good, and I think I think I like I liked O'Brien's work here too. In that he was like having this 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 idea of a thing, and Dax is like that that's a thing. He's like, well, it will be when I invent it. Right. <laughs> Basically, it's like. <laughs> it's such a good, like such a good line. He's a, he's a, he's too bad he's not an entrepreneur in the 20th century yeah. or something. I think. Yeah, I think that the that scene between those two is just a lot of good. It's mostly for O'Brien, but it's a lot of good characterization, basically, of showing you yes. that O'Brien is the O'Brien doesn't fall for the satellite trick. You know, he immediately recognizes right. that the, the the satellites are what caused the ships to crash onto the ground. So it, you get a sense that the O'Brien is the. Um, the common sense character, I think. Yeah, he's analytic, and he's also he's he's a he's a critical thinker kind of thing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And and Dax is just kind of along for the for the ride. I still she's think there, that she's there to drive the thing. Yeah. <laughs> I, I still think that um, Dax is probably the the weakest character at this point. Um, just yeah, because despite the episode where it's the actual Dax episode, I guess. Yeah, Dax the episode. Is, yeah. Yeah, Dax the episode. 
despite having that in her history, she's still not very strong character. Right. I now. think it's. I think it's just a miscasting. The, the Dax character needs to be a young woman who is seems like she's seventy years old. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, she, she doesn't seem. She seems too bright-eyed, uh, in a way. Yeah, and too excitable. Like, I, I'd imagine that the the Dax symbiote. I can't imagine getting excited about things. You know, it's been through like eight right, lifetimes. You've been around for forever, right? And and the Dax character tends to get very excited and very interested in things. I guess you could say it's the process of the merging with the younger person, but I still feel it's a there's too much curiosity. I mean, I yes, understand the curiosity yeah. of of being female again versus male again, but it's just that's about I don't know. There's just too much. There's far too much lack of street smarts with her. Right. Yes, I think that's the case, and it would just be casting a you know a different casting and better writing for that character. I think would go a long ways. It's it's too bad she's not terrible. It's just it, it feels like she's the, no, she's great, but she she's the alien character that they could have really done something with. Um, you know, alien. If they give her a good reason to be so lack of street smarts, but the fact that she's got all the history of Cisco that you'd know this was a capable person in the world and wasn't, you know, some some rookie kind of person, it it doesn't ring true for the character. Right. Yeah, exactly. And that's uh I think that's it. We talked about battle lines. I'm gonna play an audio clip and me and Melody are gonna come back and we're gonna give our final thoughts. We're gonna read patron thoughts. We're gonna do all that stuff. So see you in a second. The satellite is showing a power buildup about eight hundred megawatts. Probe destroyed. Rio Grande to Cisco. Trying to lock on, Commander. Establishing pattern lock. You can't leave without giving Energize when ready, Chief. Upaka. If we can ever find a way. My work is here now, Commander. But your power and mine will cross again. All right, Battle Lines, we're going to wrap this up as we always do. We're going to read some patron thoughts. If you go to patreon.com slash file and you support the show at any amount of money, you can leave thoughts about the upcoming episodes. I'll put a post up. You can leave a comment, and it'll get read on the podcast, and that's what we're going to do now. So... Cal Barrett writes, The episode seems like a wasted opportunity to bring Opaka back and tell a standard Trek story rather than expand the lore of Bajor and the Prophets. Having said that, it's a cool story and adding Jonathan Banks is never a bad thing. I like the ending for the moon's inhabitants, but less so for Opaka. It seems like they just needed her out of the way for the upcoming election storyline. Kira continues to be insufferable at this early stage, and it may just be Cisco's best episode so far. Interesting moral quandaries, and he gets to beat the shit out of somebody. Um, I didn't... I, I found Kira's acting weak. I didn't find it insufferable, as Kyle says. Would you, would you, what did you think of her performance here? No, I think it was fine. I mean, you, I didn't, it wasn't, it wasn't the best uh, acting crying I've ever seen, but it was fine. I don't, yeah, insufferable is a little bit strong, I think. It, it's a, it's a tough, it's a tough position to put the act like you to you know when your role is basically just sob uncontrollably. It's not particularly. Yeah. It's not very. It's a, t- easy. it's a tough line to walk. I think is the problem most. Yes, I think she's been she's definitely been the a weak actor leading up to this, but I, I do feel she's getting better. I do I do see improvement on her end, even just you know twelve episodes into the season or whatever. 
Um, I guess there was that scene in the beginning where she was uh, saying that. Oh, reading the Kardashian. She was reading the yeah. Kardashian logs, and that was a really cheesy delivery there too. So I mean, they, maybe they have a point. Yeah, that's and that scene's just to set up the fact of her being into the rebellion effort. Right? Yeah, like, to remind us that she was in the rebellion, right? Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, everything else there, Kyle. I, Cal probably would grade the effort, uh, the episode lower than I will, although I'm not going to really grade it that high, but we'll get to that. Joint Mango writes, Jonathan Banks, Jonathan Banks, Jonathan Banks, five exclamation points. Battle Lines yeah. is bomb, Jonathan Banks. But did Opaka <laughs> really did Opaka really need to be condemned to that prison planet? We never check back with her. Also, why would you be, give such similar sounding names to a new alien species you're introducing? Well, it's, that's... Yeah, that's part of the point of it, I think. It's super confusing on first viewing, but it's great. I dig on happy endings. I, I think it is kind of the point. Um, it's tough. If if the writer Make them was, so similar that they don't have any differences from the outside, basically. You can't tell the difference yourself. Meaning that's that true. There they, really isn't that big a difference. They are wearing the same exact clothing and everything like that. Yeah. Like They're not a different... There's the Ennis and the Null Ennis. They're not, they're not supposed to be... It's, it's Again, it's this red versus blue kind of thing. It's not supposed to be... Uh, there's not you're not supposed to identify with either one of them basically yeah that's a good point i think that if the if the episode was weaker i think that i would say it's more just bad writing but i think the episode is strong enough where it's it's an, it seems intentional at this point yeah, I think um, so too. it's a pretty strong script all things considered mm-hmm. um yeah, i'm very happy with it but anyway guys thank you very much for leaving your uh your comments and feedback uh, there'll be more posts on Patreon coming up. I know it's kind of slowed down because Deep Space Nine, we're only doing it once a week as Discovery's going, but I'll put another post up. People can leave feedback for future episodes. I do need to remind people about that. I know that checking Patreon is not something that most people do in a day. Um, let's see here. If you guys want to leave your vote on what you thought you would give this episode on a 1 to 5 scale, if you're watching on YouTube, you can click on the little upper right-hand corner. There's a little circle there. Click that. opens up a poll, and you can vote. Let us know what you thought. Modi, why don't you tell me on our one to one to five scale? Excuse me, what uh, you'd give battle lines? Before I give my score, I would remind people that your score is that it's an episode that you will not skip ever, and you would recommend other people to watch who are not familiar with the show to watch. So I'm going to give this one a five. Oh as, wow! As it is, it is specifically that for me. I would never skip this episode on a on a play, watch through. And if someone wants to ask me for a good ds9 episode i'm gonna point to this one so um it's not perfect it's got its flaws but jonathan banks solves all those things so it's fine (laughs) you'll say jonathan banks with six exclamation points and that'll be exclamation points it's that was was, i was gonna give it a four and i decided to give it a five (laughs) i'll give give it a week four i think because to me this is outside of the pilot this is the only episode of the first season that i would show somebody i think like to this point where and maybe I'll feel differently after we've finished watching all the episodes, but I feel like this is the first one where I'm like, okay, this is kind of what the series is at a certain point. And you can ignore the episodes before it. And on my scale, um, as you say, a four is that kind of a level where you would show it to somebody. So I'm going to give it a four. It's a week four. It's probably my favorite episode of the season so far. Um, 13 episodes in. So you can take that for what it's worth. I enjoyed (laughs) everything about it. Um, Let's see here. I think that's pretty much it. I enjoyed it. You gave it a five, so that's pretty revolutionary. I yep, gave it a four. Pretty good. Yeah, pretty, pretty good. Pretty if, you good. Guys, <laughs> if you guys enjoyed the uh, the content today, you can go to social media. You can check all the links, Facebook, Twitter, blah, 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 all that stuff. It's in the podcast blurb. It's in the video description on YouTube. 
If you go to patreon.com slash file, you can also leave comments about the upcoming episodes if you support the show. Also, you get podcasts. We're talking about Halloween stuff coming up in the next couple weeks. Talking about RoboCop. We talk about other sci-fi, all that stuff. So if you enjoy the stuff that we do for the Star Trek podcast, you might check out the patreon.com slash file to get more stuff like that. Outside of that, the high-tier patrons get the shout-out at the end of the episode. Thank you very much, guys, for supporting the show. It's Tarek Latif, Joint Mango, Ben Douglas, Kyle Barrett, Vincent Adultman, Stephen Cobb, Tex Albert, uh, Matthew Ross, and Mike Burnett. Guys, thank you very much. I appreciate it. You make the whole thing much easier to do, and uh, it's very much appreciated. Modi, thank you very much for coming on the show. Anytime. You might be back with season one. There's only a couple episodes left, so I can't promise anything. But if no, not, I guess you're happy to go out on season one with a with a five. No, it's a good one to go out on for sure. Yeah. Don't mind. yeah. So we'll um we'll be continuing Star Trek Discovery. We'll be continuing Deep Space Nine until Discovery ends, and we'll kick back to the two dis- uh, Deep Space Nine. Deep Space Nine and Discovery are too similar to each other. I don't <laughs> I don't enjoy that at this point. Um, and also, Modi, before you go. Uh, Dis- uh, Discovery's abbreviation. Do you prefer DIS or DSC? Oh boy. Um. Yeah, I would say DIS probably. Okay, that fits in with the yeah. Voyager and Enterprise, which is ENT and VO, uh, VOY. I feel that Discover DSC fits the sound better in some way. Like Discovery, that it, the abbreviation just like sounds like onomatopoeic or whatever about it. Is, isn't like DSC like Stargate thing though? Is it? I feel like, I think a DSC is used in Stargate. No. Then, yeah, Deep deep Space Carrier. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's, what it, that's what it stands for apparently there's on, a, on Stargate. There's only so much uh, Deep Space stuff I guess we can have. But anyway, guys, yeah. thank you very much for listening and uh, we'll see you next time.